welcome to Brushing Up, the miniature painting and tabletop gaming podcast. I'm your host, Dan the Quartermaster, and welcome to our first ever episode. This is really exciting. Um, <laughs> on the show today, uh, I'm going to be chatting to Ewan and James, two of the governors from the Dragon Ball Blood Bowl League uh, in London, uh, having a chat to them about the game of Blood Bowl. So if you've ever been curious about the game or you enjoy it and want to hear some more about Blood Bowl, definitely stay tuned and also be talking to them about uh, the season they ran during 2020. Uh, right now, I'm recording this episode in early 2021, uh, where the COVID-19 pandemic is still uh, a very real threat in the world. And obviously, thoughts go out to uh, everyone. Hope you're all staying safe and well. And a massive thank you to all our key workers uh, and frontline healthcare workers. Uh, keep up the amazing work. You're doing a fantastic job. Uh, but before I have a chat with uh, with Ewan and James, uh, I'd like to take a few minutes just to have a talk to you about the show, uh, what it's all about, and what my hopes are for it. So what is Brushing Up all about? What's th what's this show going to do? Well, uh, as I said before, it's, it's all about miniature painting and tabletop gaming, but what exactly uh, is, is that entailing? So miniature painting, I'm, I'm looking at the entire process of building your models, painting them up, uh, if you're going to do any conversions to them, uh, sort of tackling those sort of issues and, and talking about uh, the hobby process. Um, also covering uh, subjects like terrain making, sculpting, tools of the trade. Hopefully we'll get to have a bit of a chat about some uh, good bit of kit that's out there that you can get your hands on to improve your hobby. Uh, and when we talk about tabletop gaming, again, it is such a wide variety of uh, games that exist out there. And no doubt during the pandemic, a lot of you uh, who are new to the hobby, welcome on board if that's you, uh, have, have picked up uh, some of uh, these games and started playing them. A lot of time to kill some of us have. So <laughs> uh, a great way to spend that is to, to roll some dice or deal out some cards and, and just have a great time. So we're talking again about about war games, so sci-fi and fantasy war games, um, historic war games and the modern war games as well. Uh, quite a lot on offer there. Uh, also talking about board games and, and RPGs too, so covering a lot of ground there. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that. Uh, and the guests that I'll be having on the show, as I mentioned, I've got uh, Ewan and James, who we're going to be having a chat to in a bit. Um, but I guess it divides into two sort of separate categories. We've got like community leaders. Uh, so people who have volunteered their time to organize events like tournaments or conventions, um, as well as uh, gaming club organizers, uh, having chat to them about their experiences. Um, but also talking to professionals within the industry. So people like myself who have uh, ventured into this as a career uh, and, and having a chat to them about uh, their experiences, what they've found challenging, how they've overcome those challenges, uh, you know, what rewarding careers you can possibly have in the tabletop gaming industry. It is, it is a growing and emerging industry, still niche, but definitely um, it is growing. Um, so having a chat to commission painters and sculptors, uh, game store owners and operators, uh, content creators, game designers, um, 
people who, who do all sorts of things within that industry. So it'll be great to get them on the show and having a chat to them about what they do. So lastly, the hopes I have for the show. What, what do I hope this show will achieve? And um, I guess to break it down, really, it's all about being an exchange of ideas. The great thing about this hobby I've found is that there's so many great ideas that come out from everybody who's involved. Um, you know, from people who uh, are new to the hobby through to old hands uh, like myself, you know, uh, these ideas of painting and modeling and gaming. Um, but the great thing is that nobody really kind of goes, no, that's my idea. You, you, you can't use that. That's mine. You know, how good is it? But no, you can't use it. No, nobody does that. Uh, it's, it's always about sharing those ideas and, and people taking them and putting their own twist on them. So hopefully um, this serves as a platform for the exchange of those ideas uh, and that you're able to get a bit of inspiration from the people I have on the show. Um, it's also a platform for promotion. So as I mentioned, getting guests on who, who are running events or um, gaming clubs or you know they're, they're small and growing businesses, getting them on board to promote those uh, events and businesses so that you can uh, get involved. I also hope to use this as a means to encourage people to progress and further their hobby. Um, you know, it's it's all a learning experience. Uh, even those of us who have been doing this for years, we're still learning. Uh, we're still trying to push the envelope and trying to get to that next rung on the ladder. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll always be learning. And, and I think it's great that that everybody is in the same boat on that one and that we're all just trying to get the most out of our hobby and and really just achieve new and better results every time we, we pick up a brush or a sculpting tool or you know learn new tactics when we're playing a game so yeah all about just just pushing forward and, and trying new things and finally I, I really hope that you find this show entertaining and informative um, hopefully you've got this on while you're doing a bit of hobby or if not you're thinking about doing a bit of hobby um, and just uh, enjoying the banter and the chats that we're going to have so without further ado let's get on with the show so i'm joined uh, remotely in the studio by james and ewan two of the governors from the dragon bowl blood bowl league uh, run in london guys welcome to the show hello Thanks for having us, Dan. Oh, thank you for being here. It's uh, great. Uh, I was just thinking when I was doing my show prep, how fitting it is to kick off the first show with a game that literally has a kickoff table. Absolutely. Yeah. Very fitting. Yeah. Very fitting indeed. So let's, uh, let's get down to, to business and talk about uh, you guys as hobbyists first, and then I think we should get into some questions about Blood Bowl. Um, so guys, how did you each individually get into the hobby? Uh, shall I go first? Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of, I think I entered the hobby in a way that a lot of people do through um, Warhammer 40,000. You might have heard of it. Um, mm -hmm. So I started playing that when I was, I think it was just around the sort of turn of the millennium. Um, so yeah, I started playing that, you know, got some Space Marines, some Eldar and that sort of thing. And then um, in the past sort of five years, um, I've just sort of got into sort of smaller games um, and then came across Blood Bowl 
and and things like um, Warhammer Underworlds and things, uh, and smaller games like that. And I've just really enjoyed them. So I've sort of stepped stepped away from those larger games to, to much smaller games. Cool. And um, what about yourself, Ian? Um, so I'm a bit older than James, so I'm afraid to say like my initial dabbling in, in gaming probably came more through uh, tabletop games like uh, Hero Quest, and then I think maybe Space Crusades, uh, Space Hulk, those kind of things in the sort of early to mid '90s. Um, probably probably gave up gaming for quite a few years after after school. Didn't really just university. Got distracted by other things, but then sort of got back into it around sort of ten years or so ago. Um, Firstly through 40k, actually same as James, um, but then since then I've sort of moved on to to sort of more of the the sort of the, the skirmish type games or the, the sports games, and I'd probably say Blood Bowl is uh, probably takes up quite a lot of my time. So that's my sort of progression through the hobby. Nice. Well, next question is whether you see yourselves as either a gamer or a painter. I know people see themselves as both, but if you had to pick one, what would it be and why? Well, I, I, yeah, I was going to be awkward and, and pick both, but I'll pick one because <laughs> at the moment I'm a painter um, because obviously uh, COVID's a thing and uh, we're not getting that many games yeah. in. So, um, yeah, I, I, I love painting. Um, I always, you know, um, pretty, I, I'm, I'm pretty strict with myself and how I um, go about my hobby. I, I'm not one of those hobbyists that has a big uh, pile of shame. I quite, I quite like, oh, you no. know, painting stuff, done, <laughs> move on uh buy, buy some more at that point so i um but yeah like uh, painting is one of my favorite aspects of the hobby um i think I've, I've sort of gradually sort of tried to train myself up and get a bit better at it in recent years um with you know not too bad results so i'm, I'm uh you know in a good place with the hobby um i think just started an instagram account not so long ago so i'm able to oh, sort of cool. share things with other people so yeah enjoying that side of things do you want to give it a shameless plug while you're oh, on the air? Thank you so much. Yeah, um, Rumham Painting. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And uh, what are you working on at the moment? Uh, so at the moment, like literally about half an hour ago, I was um, paint, just finishing off putting the, the varnish on the, the ogre from the new uh, Blood Bowl set. So this is a, not a new model, but they've sort of packaged it in the new set. And um, I painted one at, like right at the start of my interest in Blood Bowl and I've painted one in the last sort of few weeks. So I'll be I'll be cracking out some comparison photos and hopefully they'll you'll see a difference. Nice. And what is your favorite color to paint if you had to pick one? I do have a, a, a favorite actually. It's I have to avoid using kind of um stegadon scale green and that sort of like um so sea color. green um kind of bluish green yeah. color. I will just paint Every, I'll, I'll try and think of new color schemes and I'll end up, you know, accidentally fitting that into it somehow. So, um, yeah, I have to stop, stop, stop myself sometimes. Fair enough. What about yourself, Ewan? Are you a gamer or a painter? I'd probably say I, I have to fall into the gamer camp, I'm afraid. I mean, I, I definitely like to see painted models on the table and I think it's important that we try and avoid grey plastic wherever possible. But um, I, mm. I would say my painting is more, is more functional. Um, compared to yep. James's, and I think I think he's he's being incredibly modest there because I think James is one of the better <laughs> painters in the the GBL, obviously present company accepted. Um, oh no, the James has some lovely team. You got some really great teams. Thanks, guys. yeah, yeah. No, he, he's yeah. a very good painter, and actually, the, the, I've, I've been organising the painting competition for the GBL. Um, we're doing oh. one at the moment, and we did the, we did one um, at the beginning of the first lockdown, and James actually won with uh, I think was it a, a wood elf he painted maybe if I remember correctly. 
Yeah, it was a wood elf uh, thrower. Yeah. The lady thrower, yeah. Really nice. Uh, no steg on green, unfortunately, but uh, it's still a fantastic model. Um, so I, I definitely fall into the, the gamer category. I enjoy playing quite a lot of different games and, and sort of float around, but um, wherever possible, I try and make sure they're at least uh, battle ready or three colour minimum painted. As they should be. Yeah, yeah definitely. And then uh, the follow-up question there is, what is your favourite game? And you, you can say anything apart from Blood Bowl. Yeah, exactly. you know, don't feel pressured just because we're talking Blood Bowl. <laughs> you have to say Blood Bowl. Yeah. So, James, are you going to come in? Uh, oh, no, you, you go ahead, mate. So all I was going to say is that I'd probably, I'd probably have to say there's a couple of games, other big games that I play. Um, probably uh, Warhammer Heresy 30K is, is one that I'm sort of getting into and really enjoying that because it's a really good community. Yeah. Um, I also mm. run the uh, the Underworlds League or the Underworlds sort of group at the the, the London Wargaming Guild. So that's that's my sort of other sort of favourite skirmish game. But loads of others, um, particularly non GW games as well. As I'm trying to try not to just become a GW fanboy and sort of branch out a bit to yeah. other games. So Twilight Imperium is one that I've been doing a bit online uh, during oh, the yeah. time. Cool. Yeah, I, I, and then I, I oh sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think. Um, Obviously, Blood Bowl is one of my top games. So apart from that, I think more recently, I've sort of been looking at like more board game type games rather than sort of, you know, um, like the Games Workshop um, tabletop stuff. Um, so like I've been playing, uh, what, I've, what I've been playing recently that's been really good is Gloomhaven. So that's one of my favorite games at the moment. But I think my, my favorite game of all time um, is, is Talisman. So that's like a, those of you who haven't played it, it's like a, that's a very sort of soft RPG that Games Workshop brought out in the eighties. Um, it's like a dungeon crawler, isn't it? It's yeah. So so it's kind of it's yeah, very light touch. So you, it's it's kind of like um, yeah, like an RPG dungeon crawler meets Monopoly. It's very sort of simple and random, and you just go around a board. So it's it's good fun to have, especially if you can get a few people. And I've been playing it um, online with the digital version recently. So that's been another godsend in, with COVID. Um, Covid being a thing, yeah, definitely. I think uh, there's there's always going to be a market for uh, making those sort of digital adaptations of um, of tabletop games uh, into apps and mm. uh, full blown like PC or console adaptations. But yeah, uh, I, I am a stickler for for the old fashioned way. Do you know, do you know what? I agree with you. Like, I I think if if it hadn't been um, if we hadn't been experiencing the, the restrictions that we are, I don't think I would have gone mm. over to it because I think there is something sort of slightly sacred about cracking out your favourite board game and, you know, rolling dice and things yeah. for real. So I, I feel you on that one. Yeah, but it definitely will bring people into the hobby, being able to access that content through apps and, and console games and PC games that are adaptations of those uh, board games or, or tabletop war games and bring them in. For so, sure, yeah. I, I think it's a great thing, yeah. 100%. Uh, speaking of uh, tabletop games, let's let's tackle Blood Bowl, uh, pun intended. Mm. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's received a, a fantastic uh, adaptation onto PC and console and tablet, um, and my interpretation of it is that it's actually quite faithful to the original game. Um, but for those people who have never actually played the tabletop version, have never actually had the physical miniatures on a pitch with uh, your block dice and all the accessories, all the accoutrement that comes with it, 
what is Blood Bowl for the uninitiated? Um, so, so it's kind of, it's hard to describe actually. <laughs> well, it's, it, there's like, um, every game has like a skin and then like a, 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 mm. like a main set of mechanics that sort of make, make the game. So I guess you, if you split Blood Bowl up into those, you'd say the skin is that it's a, um, a hyper-violent uh, version of American football that's sort of set in, in the old Warhammer universe or a, a version of it anyway. But um, you know, contains elves, goblins, and orcs who make up the various teams that end up fighting each other on the pitch. Um, in terms of like what sort of game it is, in terms of mechanics, it's very much um, it's a risk management game, really, because it's it kind of feels sometimes like you're playing chess with dice, which means that it's highly random. And there's lots of probabilities mm. to take into account, but you've got all these pieces that do various things that um, sort of complement each other and um, make up your team. Um, but yeah, you're you're very susceptible to to bad luck, so you're constantly trying to to think <laughs> about how you can mitigate that and and get your guys to where they need to be and get the ball to the end zone and score that glorious touchdown. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, from maybe just to add on to the, what James has said, like it, there's a lot of similarities with like other skirmish games in that you're sort of playing with a relatively small number of models. Um, it's quite manageable in terms of painting. The rules are, are, are quite clearly defined, and and yes. for the most that there, there aren't really too many discrepancies. So obviously, if you're playing 40k or uh, Age of Sigmar, any big battle game, people can be questioning what six inches away, how far is this, what whether something's in range. Um, but the, the mechanics and the rules are, are very clean. Yeah, uh, and, and you're on squares instead of yeah. measuring distances and things like that. Yeah. Um, also, just to follow up on the risk management point as well, I mean that is that is ultimately what, what it's all about. the game is all about. It's uh, it, it's possible to technically it's possible to win without actually rolling any dice. I mean, the, the fewer dice you roll, normally the better, because you're trying to avoid making like mistakes. And, and I think that the key dynamic that 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 brings out that risk management is the turnover rule, which you don't have. I'm not aware of that in any other game where one mm. roll results in the end of your turn. So if you, yeah. if you charge into combat with your uh, with your space wolves and they all die, well, the other space wolves in the, in the next squad they can still do their thing. Whereas in Blood Bowl, if you if you go and try and pick the ball up and fail, right, the other guy who hadn't moved yet, he's he's not moving. So it means you have to prioritize every single activity based on the the, the benefit you will get from succeeding. But also the the potential downside if you if you fail that role and uh, and then can't do the rest of your things. So it's quite often trying to do unimportant things that are safe and then save your the risk uh, for for thing that really matters. Uh, yeah, right. so, I think we're yeah, best laid plans. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think we're emphasising the luck side of things here as well. But um, it's definitely not a sort of. Um, you, you know, you sort of games where you just roll dice and you see what happens and have fun. There's quite a high sort of skill level mm. to it as well. And it's got quite a, a large competitive scene. And there's, you know, there's a lot of different tactics that you can employ on the pitch and strategies that will um, help, you know, throw things in, in um, um, you know, in, in your favor. So it is, you know, there's a lot of risk and luck involved, but it's a very sort of skill-based game with a high skill ceiling as well. Yeah, that point about the, the competitive community is really important as well. I mean, there's a, a huge sort of international, I mean, particularly in the UK, but there is international across Europe and, yes, and America and definitely. other sort of uh, Western countries. Huge fan base, very loyal, very devoted, people running tournaments across the world. And then there's also the, the big thing that's 
brings it all together is a, a community of, of fans and players that kept it going in the dark years when GW was sporting the game called the NAF, that's N-A-F. Um, and they, uh, they, they sort of have a, an online uh, website where you, you basically can, can log results of tournaments and that means people can track how they're getting on with, with the teams they played, who won which tournament, who got the most touchdowns, what your record is with different races. So a lot of people get into it because they want that they like that sort of international co competitive element. And you can say, well, I'm the 43rd best player with dwarves in, in England, therefore I'm, I'm amazing. Are you? Speaking of, that was purely an example. Yeah, it's a hypothetical example. <laughs> I was going to say, is that, a, is that a New Year's resolution yeah. to become the 43rd best dwarf player in yeah. the United Kingdom? I think Kingdom? at one point I was the 100th best halfling player in England, um, but that's really oh, been lost. Nice. I was, I was just going to say, speaking of, of international competitiveness, there's even a Blood Bowl World Cup, and I have had the... I want to say honor, I don't know if that's the right word, of actually playing um, up against uh, some World Cup players. And it's, they, they are brutal. Uh, <laughs> they, are, they know their game. So clearly there's, a, there's, there's that kind of top echelon of, of Blood Bowl players that exist out there. Yeah. I mean, these guys, they've been playing for decades and decades. So they, they know the game inside and out. Um, and there is this sort of, you know, um, natural ways of thinking about the game. You know, if you're, if you if you think in particular ways, I, I'm guess, I, I guess that you can sort of, um, latch onto the game more quickly and work out the ins and outs and, and sort of capitalize on them. But yeah, there's definitely, um, certain people have sort of rise to the top, uh, when playing this game. I think it's fair to say as well that, it, that although there is absolutely a very high-end competitive scene, there's also a, a very positive and welcoming sort of amateur competitive scene where people who um, who maybe aren't as good or want to play with the slightly less competitive races like halflings or like Kemri, those kind of things. Um, people yeah. Tournaments and have a lot of fun. Um, one of the mm -hmm. best tournaments that I, I've been to is the UK Team Championship, which takes place in York every year, well, obviously. Recent uh, years have been a bit more difficult with the, um, the COVID. Of course, it's such a great event. You you basically go along with three other players and, and perform as a team. So four players will play against a team of other four players, and depending how the four of you get on, you work your way up or down the, the ladder over the, the day, the couple of days that it's run over. And it's just a really fun experience. And loads of people are there trying to win, but probably, probably mm. at least half aren't really that bothered about the result. They're just there for a good time, and there's there's good banter, and we'll work for a beer afterwards. It's a really positive experience. Yeah, I like that side of the community. Actually, our team didn't do so well in, um, the last time we went, and we ended up at the sort of oh, bottom right. tables. But actually, the pe the people there were just you know up for a bit of a laugh and just chucking some dice. So it was it was real it was really good fun and a, and a bit less sweaty than it would have been if we'd have done well. If you know what I mean? Yeah. You touched um, on the the teams a little bit there. Do you, uh, it's it's worth mentioning. Like there's um, I don't know how many there are anymore, but there's there's over over twenty five teams of, um, that you can possibly wow. play, uh, play in Blood Bowl now. Um, and they, as, as you had mentioned, some of them are better than others. It's a very sort of asymmetric um, game um, where, you know, not all teams are created equal. Um, yeah. So there's, I think, you know, you would sort of wonder, like, why, why would certain people want to play the, the worst teams? Well, they tend to be a lot more fun. They can get away with shenanigans like... Um, the bigger players throwing the smaller players um, across to get a touchdown or at the enemy team and things like that. So 
there's a, there's a lot of different selling points um, for the different teams, um, depending on whether you want to sort of have more fun or, or go for a more sort of serious attempt at, you know, winning some games. Yeah, so there's lots of people who will play like religiously. They'll play like the same two or three teams that get really good at it, and then perform well in tournaments and and like try and work up their their ranking. Mm. But then there's lots of other people who are, who will like try and jump around and do different teams, and that's certainly what I've tried to do. I, I think I'd played eight or nine different teams at, at, at NAF tournaments, so I was trying to get I was trying to get through all twenty. That's pretty good. Yeah. Teams, which makes it more difficult. Yeah. I, I kind of want to do the same thing eventually, and I think I've I've, I've only played about eight, but um, you know, hopefully I'll get there if GW stop, you know, giving us more content and more, more teams to play with. Speaking of um, Games Workshop and their content, they last year released uh, a second edition after rebooting uh, Blood Bowl like a few years ago, 2016. Um, yeah, yeah. So second season, uh, it's out. Uh, there has been quite a bit of chat about it online. Uh, I've sort of skimmed the forums just to get a bit of a feel for it. I, I personally haven't had a chance to read the rule book or um, look at it as in-depthly as I'd like to. Um, but could you guys tell us a bit more about that new edition? Um, you know, how is it different from previous editions? Do you feel that it's evolved the game further than where it has been in previous editions? That's a good question. Um, maybe if, if I'll go, I, I can think of like maybe a couple of big ways where the game has changed. Maybe if mm. I just yeah. describe one of them and I'll pass over to, to Ewan. Um, so I think one of the bigger changes from uh, a league point of view, um, at, which is what we, you know, where we play a lot of our Blood Bowl, um, mm -hmm. is the way that players um, progress and get new skills. Um, so, in, I mean, just to quickly uh, explain, you um, in a league, um, you will play, you know, in groups and things like that, uh, and have like home and away games with other players in your group. And as in between mm. matches, your team will um, either improve or get worse, depending on how badly you've been knocked <laughs> about. Um, oh no! And um, you know, th um, things that you do on the pitch will have. Um, consequences and your play um, from game to game, and your players will get skilled up, which makes them better on the on the field. So they've yep. they've changed that quite significantly in the new version um, to allow you a bit of flexibility in the way you want to approach that. Um, previously, you would you would get things called star player points for achieving different things on the pitch, like scoring a touchdown or um, causing yep. a casualty to make one of your opponent's players leave the pitch. Um, and then you would get, there was like thresholds and then you would just roll to see what type of skill or stat up you would receive. So now mm. there's a, there's sort of a different price list for um, either getting skills by um, the sort of skills that your, your player is supposed to get or the ones that they are, are uh, less likely to get previously. You can just pay more money to do that. Um, yeah. And you can do things like... Um, uh, pay pay less in the in the way of star player points, but you can get uh, random skills, so sort of more high risk, high reward type uh, things. Um, so that's yeah, that's one of the biggest ways that they've changed it. Um, and I think it'll be interesting for us going into our league, hopefully later this year, to see how how that's affected things and whether certain teams can pick up on that um, and you know roll some really interesting random skills, for example. Um, so yeah, mm. wait and see. 
So to pick up on the, the league points, I mean, James is absolutely right. They, they make quite a few significant changes there. How that will affect us when we run the league, I mean, maybe we'll come on to that later when we're talking about the DBL, mm. but we, we will need to have a bit of a think about whether we want to adopt those new rules or whether they want to try and t- keep some of the old ones or whether we want to create, like, modify them. So that'll be something we, we'll probably look at. Um, maybe in terms of the, the game itself, like, so rather than league play, but just individual um, matches, uh, they, they didn't like, revolutionise the game. It was probably it was an evolution of the rules. So the, the changes are relatively modest. Um, so it's, it's still fairly recognisable. And more, I'd probably see 90% of the stuff in there is exactly the same as it was in the, the 2015 edition. Yeah. Um, but the yeah. big changes that they did make were probably uh, introducing a new stat for passing. So there used to be an agility stat. So anytime you wanted to either dodge or do anything skillful, like throw the ball, catch the ball, it was only one like stat that you would check against and roll a dice. So agile players were, were good at passing, at dodging, at picking the ball up and everything. So it kind of made that the 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 thrower positional slightly superfluous because quite often there'd be other players in the team that were just as good or sometimes even better than they were. Um, so they've, they've introduced a new passing stat, which means that dedicated passers now actually are usually better, almost always better at throwing mm-hmm. other yep. players. Which I think just makes it's a really good dynamic and has made more players in the in the game relevant. So the throwers in each team aren't now a complete waste of time. Um, they it's, used to. Be. Yeah, I was just going to say it's definitely sol- solved that problem. Yeah, um, and I and I did think that that was an issue before because you were, you just wouldn't end up taking them because often they don't have you know the skills like other players uh, like blitzers do. They don't have those protective skills to keep them on the pitch, so they they were often a bit of a liability. Right. Yeah. So I think it makes it a much more uh, tactical game, and just make will make you think a bit more about which which players you include in a squad, and hopefully introduce a few new play styles as well. Because the, the games like this can get quite stale if, if people just end up using the same meta, like the same online teams, and that you see the same the same build of each team again and again. So hopefully this will freshen things up. Uh, the other slight tweak they had is they changed the pricing of some players. So that someone oh, must okay. cost them down a little bit, yeah, costing and they introduced a slightly more nuanced uh, pricing mechanism. So it means that like, the the old teams that you would take to a tournament or are starting the league have, have just have evolved a bit. You'll have, you'll have to adapt and that'll freshen the meta up, I think. Um, and then they also introduced a few extra little skills. Nothing major, but just like a few extra ones that, that make things more yeah. interesting. Um, and the, okay. yeah, and sorry, just on the, the point about we made earlier about it being a risk management game, one other thing we did was they changed the rule on rerolls because so reroll is part uh-huh. of the game, and it used to be that you could only you could only reroll one dice per turn. Um, whereas now, if you have right. saved up your rerolls, you're allowed to actually use more than one per turn, which uh, is, I think, was actually a mistake. Like I'm not sure they meant to do that. Yeah, allowed it. I kind of agree. I think so it I seems like an oversight and um, something that they've just sort of been brought up on, but then sort of thought, can we just make it look like we've meant this all the, the whole <laughs> yeah. time? Um, and I don't think it's you know it's not it's not a change that I think is horrific or anything. Yeah. I just think we'll we'll have to start up to sort of um, play it to see see how it affects different teams. But yeah, it's, that's quite a quite a sizable change. You don't think that they'll come along and FAQ that out of the? I, I don't or? think no, not that they've said that that one. I mean, they, I think in the initial FAQ that was actually clarified as far as I can remember that that it was um, mm. as as written. Um, you know, you can use multiple rerolls a turn, not not on the same rolls. So you can't just keep rerolling the same yeah. same dice roll, but on different rolls. Um, right. But yeah, the, one of the other interesting things that's that's developed is is the 
and I know some players aren't a fan of this, is, is the way that they are handling mm. the game in terms of bringing out an FAQ and, and updates um, twice a year. I, I think they've said they're going right. to do it, which is um, different from the last edition and certainly different from the, the, the time where they didn't support the game at all. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they, they do that and whether certain how far they'll go, whether they'll give boosts and nerfs to little um, to teams, whether they'll tweak the rules at all, um, remains to be seen. But yeah, be interesting. Yeah, I think I'm really looking forward to seeing how they, where they take it. The, the one thing that I was really glad about that they didn't do with the changes is try to overly monetize it, where you, you basically turn it into a game that you had to buy regular updates. So every time a new team comes out, you have to buy the latest team. You have to keep buying more stuff. It seems that they've, they've kept things pretty close to the original uh, versions, whereas you can buy your team, you can buy as long as you've got the rules and the models, you can play, we can play again in 10 years' time. Well, that's, that's cool. I mean, I've got my old human team mm, from yeah. the, uh, the original starter box that came with orcs and, and humans, the, the plastic humans, and they're still good to go, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, know. they tend to sort of add, they've, they've added a few positionals here and there. To certain teams, but yeah. I, like I know the human team can now have halflings, so you can give them the ball and chuck yeah. them down the pitch. But your yeah. human team will still look um, very much the same apart from that. So all you need is to grab yourself a little halfling. Yeah, needs to check a check a halfling in there. So I'll, I'll have to have a look around to see if I can find one that's uh, a bit fitting. Because I think the um, the the current halflings I did sum up as part of a commission a while back, and there there are bigger models so uh, i don't think they're going to work with the uh, the old humans that's right the hey scale ho. creep yeah yeah that's fine um speaking of you, you mentioned earlier about how there's sort of agility based players and the more hard-hitting bashy players uh and obviously that reflects in the teams themselves is there a preference over agility or uh the bashy teams and if so why would you go with one over the other do you want to speak up for, for bashy teams and I'll speak up for agility, maybe, Ewan? Yeah, why not? Uh, after you, sir. Oh, yeah, excellent. So um, I I think the, the, the variety of teams is actually maybe slightly higher than, than just bash or, or agility. There are teams that all, all the 25 teams have slight variations on, on the skills and the rules and whatnot. So there are there are different types mm. of bash team. Um, but I, I enjoy, like, actually, like, for saying why we, why we like the Bash teams in particular, and this, this probably includes teams like the Orcs, um, the Chaos, uh, maybe to a lesser extent, Kemri, um, maybe to a yeah. lesser extent, the, um, uh, the sort of Lizardmen who have some big, strong guys. Um, but it tends to be the teams that have high strength and usually punching skills like Block or Mighty Blow. Um, but I probably like the yeah. Bash just because it is fun just hitting people and removing players. Like, <laughs> something satisfying about like I'm not just catching the guy I've, I've broken his neck and he's now or broken his arm and he's now off the pitch for the rest of the game or he's been knocked out or um, he's lying in a heap on the ground it's yeah there's definitely something like quite satisfying about rolling that high number on the injury table and, and just a player not just being put on his back but being taken off the pitch that's quite satisfying yeah or having to retire <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> when I have success with bash teams, it's usually not because I'm amazing on the positioning or with the uh, like using the players most effectively. It's because I've removed half yep. the opposition's team, and at that point, you, you can play quite you can play quite imprecisely and quite loosely, and you still win because the, he doesn't have enough players to 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 match you. Uh, so that, I, th I think 
that's one. That's one of the main reasons I enjoy them. But maybe just to also flag that there, there are sort of like the sort of slightly wacky teams, like the the halflings and the goblins, that provide a bit of insanity. So I'd, I'd say, like, I, I do have a sort of soft spot for them as well. Yeah, that, you wouldn't call them bash teams, but often their main goal is to cause havoc on the pitch. Um, so that, yeah, yeah, like stunt, stunty teams, as, as they're termed, they, they're almost a different genre entirely. Um, you also have like hybrid teams as well, which is sort of a mix between the two. But yeah, I've, I, I yeah. used to play, I don't play them as much anymore, but I used to play agility teams a lot. Um, they would be your, uh, there's various different elf teams that you can play, um, like the Skaven team, uh, the Slan mm-hmm. team. Um, but they're, they're sort of designed to uh, be, they're usually quite quick, so you can move about the pitch more easily. Um, they off, as, as the name suggests, they have higher agility, so you can uh, dodge away from your opponent, which means you don't have to do any bashing, um, and you can pick yeah. up the ball more easily. Um, and you know, well, no, not anymore. Chuck the ball. Obviously, you've got this new passing stats, um, but they're usually yeah. better at sort of moving it, the ball around. Um, and I think there's um, there's usually sort of two ways you you win a, a game of blood bowl. Um, if it's either by sort of you know um, uh, destroying your opponent's team and causing so many casualties yep. that he hasn't got enough people on the pitch to put up a resistance, as, as you have mentioned, um, yeah. and the other the other way is by uh, positioning. So that's making sure that your your guys are in the right places to either defend against your opponent so that they can't score, or you're mm. in the right position um, to um, score your touchdowns when you want to score them. Um, so yeah, I, I find that quite satisfying. Um, uh, scoring those like, really high risk and improbable touchdowns is, is a lot of fun, and sort of you know just yeah. breaking away from your opponents um, and running running a halfway across the pitch uh, without him being able to do much about it is, is quite quite fun for me. I think <laughs> sounds quite amusing to. Uh... <laughs> Well, I've been on the receiving end, of that, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> to, to to be in control of a team that's uh, performing like that uh, does sound quite appealing. But uh, uh, I'll have to eventually give an agility team a go at some stage. But we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, now we've just probably bombarded all of the the potential would be blood bowl players out there that are listening to this. Uh, I hope they haven't been scared off. Please, please do not be scared off. Stay. It's, it's lovely. It's nice. Um, but for those people who do want to get involved in Blood Bowl, what advice would you both give uh, to those rookies out there that want to give it a go? Where's a good place to start? So maybe, if I, James, if I jump in for, uh, quickly on this one, I mean, I, I would say the, the key thing is finding a, a community of Blood Bowl players. Uh, people mm. that, I mean, actually, to be fair, that, that can that can be online or that can be in the, in the physical world, obviously, once uh, restrictions allow. But I would say trying to find a Definitely, community yeah. is just an absolute key thing because Blood Bowl, I'd probably see even more than other games, is a very social game that usually involves mm. a lot of interaction with the opponent and usually a lot of the people who play are very fun and, and uh, sort of quite enjoy the social side of things. So trying to find people you can play with in person um, obviously, the mm. BBL is one touch league. There's, even in London, there's several other leagues ongoing um, yep. across the country. Yeah. It's relatively easy to find uh, a group that you can play with. And then the online community is huge. Like the, there's multiple different uh, leagues around the world, either running um, the, the official like, sort of, uh, Blood Bowl uh, game. So they're now into Blood Bowl 3. Um, but uh, mm. that, So that's the official one. 
can't remember which which company produced it, but it's quite a jazzy one with lots of snazzy graphics. But then you also have the sort of the the, uh, the fumble system online, which is a, a free uh, bit of software with sort of very simple basic graphics. But that has a huge online community. So no matter where you are, whatever you're doing, even if you live in the Shetlands, you can still find a, a community to to play with. Um, and I think that for me, that's the key thing. Uh, there's not much point in trying to to get into the game unless you can play regularly with other people. Um, to go maybe go back, quickly back to the the um, the physical game playing in person, I would say the box mm. sets are a pretty good place to start. If you're if you're not sure about whether how to get into the game, I would say buying the box set. Um, it's such good value. Uh, you get two teams, everything you need to play, the full rulebook. Um, it's 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 it, you really can't go wrong by buying the the, the twenty twenty box set. I think. No, I'd agree. That's that all, all makes sense to me. I think it's worth worth mentioning that you know Blood Bowl is a Compared to other games, it's very much a spectator's game. So, you know, if, if you can go along and have a, a, a look at what people are doing at the, your local club, you don't have to dive in at the deep end. Just go just go and watch. And it's quite entertaining to, to watch, depending on how the game's going. And obviously, there's, as, as you yeah. said, there's a lot of online um, communities and there's a lot of ca- uh, casters who will stream their matches. And, and that's one way that you can sort of get used to the game and, um, and get better as well, because a lot of them offer a lot of um, helpful tips. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the boxes, the boxes are great. Um, I think, um, as we've discussed before, I think Blood Bowl is good because you can just buy one team and then that's that's it. So there's not a huge buy-in. Um, I think yeah. one of the things, one of the slight problems with with GW is that some of sometimes when you buy uh, the team sets, you don't quite get all the models you need to make up your team. There are a lot of teams that you can just buy one box, um, like dwarves, for example. I don't know why we keep plugging dwarves, right? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's quite a sort of um, if you just want to dip your toes in, that can be quite a um, an easy way to sort of get on and grab a team and get st- uh, started. I think yeah. one final thing to add from my side is that there's also yep. a plethora of online resources available, um, particularly that aimed at new players. There's loads of YouTube videos that teach you how to play the game. There's loads of websites and blogs that have like sort of. And simple introductions and play by plays and talk through the tactics and, and yes yeah you get like people writing blogs about like feints to one side of the pitch or the other the the odds of fouling and removing a player based on what skills you have so there's loads of online material uh, to sort of help build your knowledge regardless of where you are in terms of understanding the game I've just realised actually we we ourselves are putting out that sort of content and we should plug it. Um, so yeah, so Mark Hampson, who used to run run the league, he's he's putting out uh, videos on our YouTube account. Um, so if you if you search on YouTube Dra- uh, Dragon Ball League, then you'll find us. And he is churning the episode episodes out at the moment, and each episode covers one aspect of the game. And he'll um, do a bit of explanation, and then he'll show you how it all works out on the pitch. Um, so that, they're, they're incredibly useful for somebody trying to learn. I'll have to check it out. My game could use some improving. Let's well, we see. all should because I mean, we, we've got. He's doing it with the new rules in mind, so it's kind of a, a useful place for everybody to, to have a look as well. Cool. So you've mentioned the Dragon Ball League. I guess we should have a chat about uh, the league itself um, and what's involved and, and how it's run, particularly the last uh, the t- season twenty twenty. Um, but if you could give us a very, uh, like a brief rundown of what the Dragon Ball League is, what's involved, how does it work, and how long has it been going on for? Shall I? I'll grab this one. Um, so it's been 
it started in 2015 and it was, I think by that point it was slightly more casual um, and there was less structure. I don't think they, they finished, but come 2016, mm. um, Mark had learned quite a lot and, and put, was putting out like a really sort of high quality league with its own um, in-house magazine and stuff. So yes, yeah, 2016, it started properly. I think there was about 30 people um, and year on year, it's sort of grown um, to the point where we had, um, was it 60 people um, in 2019? Yeah. Uh, obviously last year was slightly less, but yeah. So we're one of the biggest leagues in the country. Um, we're going for a few yeah. years. Um, we meet right in the, in the centre of London in Covent Garden um, at the London Wargaming Guild um, Club. And uh, we run um, a lot of activities throughout the year, but mainly have our league between July and sort of finish it up around sort of January. Um, and that's that our, our league is uh, slightly different from some football leagues in that it's a, um, what's the way of describing it? It's not a persistent league where things from one mm-hmm. season um uh, you know your your team and how it develops uh, means anything in the next season. Everything restarts, and we we right. sort of do that because it's it sort of it's more fair and less intimidating for newer players that yeah. want to come and get started with a fresh team. So we, yeah, we we have a, a sort of league stage where we uh, randomly put people into groups, and we actually make a big thing mm-hmm. about how that work how that happens. So we have our draft nights. Um, in July, usually, where we will, um, using a bingo machine, randomly drop people into into um, to groups, and they'll play those uh, the people in the group uh, till about October. Um, gradually, sort of, you know, getting making sure their team gets better or or, or worse in some situations as time goes on. Um, and by sort of uh, October time, we start our knockout stage. So we, you know, depending on how many people we've had that can be sort of a knockout tree of, you know, 32 people um, uh, or a couple of different trees. Uh, We usually have like a um, a separate competition for those that have done less well uh, during the league. Um, And it all sort of ends with a big finals day. Often it happens in January or February uh, where we all get together and watch the, the semi-final matches and the final. And we do a big award ceremony and that sort of thing. And we all have a, a few drinks and, um, it generally sort of ruins your your dry January if you are attempting one. So, um, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> but yeah, it's a lot of fun. So as as a league, I think we're maybe if you if you were to look at our league and compare it to other leagues, obviously I've mentioned the the non persistent yeah. thing, but I think we're a bit more we're maybe a little more on the casual side. And that's not to say that we've got some very competitive players, but we tend to sort of go in for the underdog and um, wanting to have more fun at games rather than just concentrating on winning at all costs. Yeah. Hopefully that's it in a nutshell. I think that's important. Yeah. I think... Anything to yeah, add? Yeah, so maybe just a couple of small points on top of that, um, all very sensible stuff from James. Um, it's also quite a, a group endeavour. So as James said, when we when it was started in 2015, long before I joined, um, it was being the brainchild of mm. Mark and, and he led it as a one-man band and did a heroic effort in setting it up. But since then, it's evolved mm. and grown and um, it, it wouldn't it would be very difficult to run the league of 60 players with only one or two people running it. So um, we actually have what we call uh, commissioners, so the, 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 the people right at the top. So James and uh, Rory are our two commissioners and they, they sort of 
lead the the DBL. But then to support them, we also yep. have, um, I think it's about six or so governors or govs as we call them, which is what I'm. Um, yep. So that's people who will run individual conferences. So as James said, when we split up the league into different conferences, it's, it's good to have one person responsible for each just to make sure the games happen and everyone's having a good time and arbitrate on any rules issues. Um, but then we also have like some other stuff, which I think distinguishes us from other leagues. Like we have the, the des a design gov who helps us all do all all our online design stuff and produce the, the 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 pack the rules pack for for each season and produce the the, um, the online newsletters and the, uh, the help with any other sort of design stuff that we're doing um, and then we also have a merch gov as well so merchandise so the, at the moment that's been done by ollie who has done a fantastic job of getting us like team mugs with our logos on the mug yeah custom pitches yeah, yeah, it's very professional looking. All the yeah. design and uh, merchandise, nice yeah. dice and t-shirts and whatnot. So there's, there's quite a lot of effort that goes into uh, this, sort of, not just the gaming uh, side of things, but actually also, let's, I guess, the hobby side and the, the social side. So you mentioned there you went about the organisational structure behind the scenes um, of of the DBL of the Dragon Ball League, and obviously. COVID has thrown a massive spanner in the works for anyone who's trying to organize any sort of gaming event, uh, no matter where you are in the world and what lockdowns or government restrictions you're facing in your local area. But how did uh, the, the DBL, the commission, the governors uh, deal with the 2020 season uh, and the COVID pandemic impacting on that um, as an organizational body and, and how, what were some of the challenges that you faced and how did you overcome those? Um, and what happened differently this season that ha hasn't happened, obviously, because of the, the pandemic? And that's a, a lot of questions <laughs> here to bombard you with. But, I'll, uh, I'll, yeah, we'll start I with guess, the, the last yeah. one, maybe. How was it different? So we, yeah. we, I think the, one of the major differences is that we, we were growing every year. Um, and obviously, mm. uh, the situation being what it was, we, we got about... 30 i think it was 34 people so we went almost um lost 50 percent of the people we had the year before effectively um so i mean that's understandable and um yeah it was it was, it was a really tricky year and it was tricky to plan we sort of always kept our ears to the ground with regards to what the latest government advice was and we sort of got to a point yeah. in the um the summer um, where we sort of were thinking, okay, if, well, if we start at this particular time, then this is how long everything takes. And we sort of push everything to the right and, and see how long it would take to, to run the league if we started in September, for example. Um, so we kept, we kept sort of hanging on and, and trying to figure out when the best time would be. And we worked out that um, in order to do it, say, to do its thing safely, it, you needed to be able to, to uh, meet up with people um, at the different venues um, you need to be able to, to use transport safely because um, um, mm. a lot of people travel into London, for example, for our, for our games. Um, and yep. uh, we, yeah, so we made sure that um, we only um, ran the league if those things were in place. And I think the restrictions went down um, in sort of August uh, last year. So we were, we were able to actually run the league. Um, we had to sort of react quite quickly um, and plan things out um, very speedily um, so that we could get started because we knew that, um, you know, there was, there was whispers of like second wave and things like that. So we, we were able to, to yeah. sort of get things um, 
set up quite quickly and start the league to play in that window that we had where you were able to um, go out and about and meet with a, a limited amount of people. Um, we we didn't quite um, get to the point where where we had a, like a a um, knockout tree um, and uh, a big finals day or anything like that. So we we pretty much stopped at the point where we completed the league phase of our um, competition. So so we, okay. we it was kind of nice that we got to do that, and I think everybody was grateful that we you know we were able to do it at all. So um, yeah, that was that was last year. Um, fingers crossed for this year, I guess, could be uh, a similar situation, but with, with vaccines and things like that on the horizon, who knows? Yeah, we live in hope. Yeah, I think the only thing I, I'd add to that um, is just the, the, how flexible we, we had to be and, and how, um, how much we had to sort of constantly be checking the rules that, that the government is putting out and the guidelines um, and also what our, our players wanted to do, because it's, it's one thing saying, oh, the government are allowing us or telling us we can do stuff. But obviously within the player community, you have people who've got quite different views, quite different personal circumstances about what they think should be should be done, how it should be played. So there's a lot of consultation, like checking with people, making sure everyone's happy, mm. um, a lot of sort of adapting and flexing depending on the situation for particular individuals. So. Some people, example, for example, were on holiday and then the rules around uh, returning to the UK changed, so they had to quarantine for, for a couple of weeks and that obviously threw the schedule out of out of whack. Then uh, other people with, with personal uh, issues they had to deal with or, or illness, um, COVID or non-COVID related. So there's lots of things that, that came up this year that we hadn't really had to consider in previous years. Um, so there's just quite a lot of, of meetings amongst the, the governors and the commissioners just to check where we think thought things were, but then also like sort of checking with the, 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 the 33 players in, the, in that community just to check that everyone was all right. It, it, it was a real challenge. And I think actually we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty proud of ourselves. We managed to get through the league season and get so many games played despite all, all those challenges. Yeah, because it was 104 out of 105 games completed. I, I think yeah, I, I think <laughs> it, pain, it pains me that we didn't quite get them all done, but it was, um, you know, we we did pretty pretty well. I think under the circumstances, um, that's virtually the entire league. And uh, yeah, I think everybody had fun, and you know, I don't I don't think anybody felt like we like we were in any danger of, um, yeah. you know, um, putting people in situations that they shouldn't have been in. Um, so, sure. yeah, I, I remember doing lots of consultation, as Ewan says. We put out lots of surveys and things like that. And, it, um, you know, we, we, we would never have gone ahead if people had come back and said that they had serious concerns. But, you know, a lot of people were um, enthusiastic and, and felt that they were safe doing it. So uh, we were able to go ahead. I guess the only follow-up question I've got there is how is that going to impact on the 2021 season moving forward? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think, uh, yeah, your guess is as good as mine. It's going to be interesting as well because we've got this new um, edition that's just come out. Yeah. And in 2016, I think there was a lot of, um, there was a big increase in the player base, new people coming into the game wanting to get started. I think we would, mm. in a normal year, we would have the exact same thing. Um, and certainly I know, you know, we've heard of a lot of people that are brand new to the game. They've just bought the box set and they're really, really keen. How that will affect yeah. um, what we do is is debatable. How many people will get wanting to sign up and how many people we think we can accommodate safely. Um, so, yeah, there's, it, it's going to be really interesting um, and fingers crossed. 
yeah, just on, on that point, I mean, I think it, it, it's so much uncertainty. There's so much unknown at the moment about how things um, go. Of course. I think at the moment, we're, we're probably just going to try and do something similar to we did this year, just play it by year, see what the government say, see what the, the rules allow, and, and see where the, the community is. Because um, there may well be some people that in the past year have sort of moved away from Blood Bowl or moved away from gaming and don't fancy that anymore and picked up other interests, like, um, like doing sea shanties and TikTok or whatever it might be. <laughs> that people have moved on to. Um, so I think whereas yeah. we had like this really clear like progression plan, like a- after 2019, we had like we had 60 players. We're like, next year we're planning for 17, and maybe the year after. Like, <laughs> yeah. Completely out the window. Yeah, we were we were prepared yeah. for like we were looking at sort of eighty or ninety and and how we would manage that uh, wow. before before we knew COVID was an issue. Um, there was no there was no guarantee that we were going to take that many players, but we were sort of that was the sort of level we were looking at because we'd grown so much every year. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I guess that's something that uh, could always potentially come back given time uh, and you know, recovery efforts going on around the world. And hopefully uh, we can see a bit more growth in communities like the Blood Bowl community. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning that we've we've done a lot in the, you know, during the lockdown periods to sort of keep things going. Like uh, Ewan mentioned the painting competition uh, that we had. Yep. We've got we've got um, various chats on our WhatsApp. That's the main way we can, um, communicate with each other and organize games and that sort of thing. But actually, yeah. it's a big social thing in itself. So it's actually a really good way to stay in touch with people and keep that sort of community, um, you know, strongly strongly tied together. Um, we've been doing various things like using Fumble and 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 the Bubble Two game to run competitions and, and keep people interested in the game. So, yeah, we've been doing everything we can to sort of keep the community going. I think on the size of the, the DBL as well, it's, it's important to point out that for us, it's far more important to have uh, a fun league than a big league. So it's much better to have yeah. 35 people who all enjoy what they're doing rather than to, to get it too big and we sort of lose that, that fun, social, personal aspect where people feel they're just a number. It, it's really got to be about like the, the, the experience of the community and how we get together and, as James mentioned, the draft night, they're such great experiences. And I think probably a lot of people will be like quite keen to get back into that sort of thing once we are able to meet together. It's such a good environment. Yeah. Yeah. I think for some people they yeah. they're they're like they're less keen on Blood Bowl and <laughs> they just enjoy the social aspect. <laughs> yeah. They keep coming back every year. Well it, Yeah. I think uh, obviously you, you need to have that focus on both retention and recruitment and, and with a social game like Blood Bowl, uh, doing events and activities like that definitely play into it. Um, which does lead me on to my next point that I was hoping to have a chat to you guys about was uh, about organizing a Blood Bowl league. If we can actually flick off the COVID switch, I know that would be lovely if we could do it for <laughs> real, but if we could just do that for now in, in a regular world and setting, uh, what goes into organizing a Blood Bowl league like the Dragon Bowl league? Um, what, uh, advice or, or what points do you think potential league organizers out there who are looking at starting up something similar to what you guys have done uh, should be paying attention to what um, what should they be doing and focusing on uh, to ensure success for their league? Um, so I think from my point of view, I think maybe the, the two aspects um, would be the sort of more crunchy organizational type stuff 
And then on the, on the flip side, it would be like the more fluffy um, aspects to the league. Um, so, yeah, from an organisational approach, I think you've, you've got to start planning in advance. Surround, you know, if you're a commissioner, surround yourself with people that are dependable and um, you, can, you can bounce mm. good ideas off. We start, you know, we're starting our preparations uh, very soon for our next league that would, you know, hopefully start in July. Um, so we'd start doing things like looking at the, especially with the new rule set, we'd be looking at our rules pack, which is our sort of customized um, uh, version of the of the rules. It's not, it, you know, it, for the most part, it's the same thing. It's just we, we, we tend to sort of look at things slightly differently, taking into account the amount of games we've got to play and um, our organizational structure. Um, so we start prepping all that sort of thing soon. Um, having, you know, um, a good grasp on the budget side of things and, and planning for, you know, all, all these events to happen and the good merchandise that we have. Um, but apart from that, I think, yeah, the, the fluffy side of things is very important. You've got to, you've got to sort of create a community and um, instill a bit of pride in, in people and, and them wanting to sort of, um, you know, be part of a, a larger group that has a history and, you know, shared stories yeah. about, you know, remember when we did this in DBL 17, that sort of thing. Um, and we also mm. have our sort of um, in-house magazine uh, that helps things along as well. So that's 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 a, quite a big effort um, on the part of several individuals. Um, and we have, you know, interesting sort of um, fluffy stories about teams that are taking place, uh, that are taking part in, in, a, in the DBL. But we also have things like... Um, uh, really just sort of humorous columns that are quite funny and other other, other <laughs> columns that sort of look at, you know, tactics and things like that and how to help you improve your game. So, that, yeah, I think nice. I think there's obviously quite a lot of things to talk about, but I think for, for me it comes in those sort of two categories. If you can keep both of those sides warm, then, um, then you'll have a good league. Yeah, I, I totally agree with all, all those points. Um, I think... The, the key thing, if you're coming at it completely fresh, is, is knowing what kind of league you want to run. Because as James said, we, we have a slightly more laid back and relaxed and, and sort of the, we embrace the silliness of the game maybe more than some other leagues do. So knowing what kind of experience your, your potential league players want, like the kind of people you're playing with already, do they want to play super yeah. smash face, serious, competitive, no frills? Or do they want a bit of fluff? Do they want a bit of story? Do, do, do you want to tweak the rules to make them slightly more favourable towards silly teams like the stunting teams, etc.? Whatever it might be, you, you've got to decide what kind of league you're going to run to get the experience for the players. Um, and then maybe just the other thing to say as well is that in terms of um, getting players commit, committed to the league, as James flagged, that it's really important that everyone's bought in and everyone plays on the games because yeah. the, the, these leagues quite quickly fall apart if you just have one or two players who lose interest. How you know I'm not bothered about finishing. I'm not doing very well, or my team's been decimated. It's yeah. really important that everyone plays through at least the league season, because um, otherwise it, it just the, the structure of the the, the tournament and the, sorry, not the tournament, the league play doesn't really work if you don't finish all your group games. Yeah, so, on our side. But, yeah. It's not much. I certainly wouldn't call it a barrier to entry, but we do charge people a small amount, mm. like so, that to to play, and that that that's all reinvested in in merchandise and the the rules pack and other bits and pieces that we get, um, and prizes for 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 different uh, for winning the tournaments or for for other things, um, that the uh, the most casualties etc. So paying a little bit of money at the beginning, I think that even if it's just a nominal amount, like five pounds, I think is important just to to get people bought in. 
Um, yeah. Another thing that we've done in the BBL is insist that people um, name their players, or na- at least you're going to name your team, but also name your players as well. Just yeah. simple stuff like that. It just helps to build a bit of story. People think about it a bit more. And we also insist that people produce uh, a logo for their team. So like, you've got to put in a little bit of time. Like You've got to spend half an hour, an hour producing your logo. Mm-hmm. And if, if, Some people do an amazing logo, and other people just do a fairly basic one on on uh, on Microsoft Paint or whatever, but yeah, and that's fine. Is, yeah, exactly, that's totally fine. But it just means that everyone's put a little bit of effort and everyone's bought into them. Everyone's thinking with the fluff behind their team, and and even the players who get who lose every game or who lose most of their games or whose teams have been decimated still play the remainder yeah. of their games. Are still committed, and sure, they maybe like don't particularly enjoy losing all their games, but um, they, they get a lot from the the playing in the league rather than just notching up uh, wins and losses. I guess that leads me on to my next point about what, what you enjoy most about being involved in a Blood Bowl league like the Dragon Bowl league. And, and how is it different from, say, just the standalone game that if you and a mate were meeting up on a you know, weekend to have a, you know, throw some dice and, and have a beer? Um, or the event that you mentioned you went up in, in York where you've got, you know, a couple of days of intense gaming. Um, how, how does the league differ from those sort of two experiences? Mm, it's, I think you can play Blood Bowl. When I first started playing it, you can definitely crack open the box set and, you know, find a mate who wants to play and you can have an exhibition match. That's, that's still fun. Yeah. That's still good, especially if you're a casual gamer. Mm. That's that's a nice way to play. I think the real sort of in, enjoyment from the game that a lot of players get is joining a league, playing lots of other different types of teams, and seeing your team grow um, from a bunch of rookies to a lot of you know hard as nails experienced players uh, with, with with ridiculous stats and skills, um, and yeah. um, you know getting managing to get it through all uh, without all your players dying. And, and going on to hopefully do okay. So I think for me, that's that's the way the game. That's the way the game should be played. Um, you, I think you mentioned um, tournaments, and that's that's very much a, a different yeah. kind of experience. I think you tend to. Mm. Um, that's more of a sort of level playing field. Each game is um, things restart, and your team will be the same as it was in the last game. Um, yeah, that's still a lot of fun. It it, it allows people to be a bit more competitive. Uh, if you've had a, your your last game, if it wasn't so good, you you've always got your your next game where you you're on you know you're starting from zero again. Um, and it does you know it, it it's not entirely different because it does borrow the the additional sort of well most tournaments will have a sort of skill based system where you can add skills to your players. Um, and uh, depending on what your team is, you might have more or less skills to add to them. Um, so you still you still right. end up playing with a team that has um, that's uh, slightly customized, I think you'd say, and you can um, sort of choose the skills to make your team different from other people's. Yeah, I think on the, on the league side, um, as James mentioned, it is, it is a, it's a quite a social experience. Um, the, the the draft nights that we have, and then also finals day when when people actually turn up to a venue to watch the the, the sort of the semi finalists and the finalists play off for the championship, that those are really social yeah. occasions where we all get together, uh, like sort of like have a few drinks, uh, socialise, talk about the the league season, and um, talk about what things that we're planning for next season, etc. It, it, I've just made a lot of new friends, and I think playing in a league 
compared to a tournament is that you will you will play other guys in your league and, and you'll get to know them and you'll become friends with them. And then maybe, and as in my case, I actually ended up going to tournaments with people. So that tournament in York was, yeah. was uh, with one guy that I'd, I'd played during the DBL 18 season and, and a couple of his friends. And um, so we went up to York and before I played him in Blood Bowl, we'd, we'd never like even met each other. And yet all of a sudden we were sharing a house <laughs> and traveling, like, doing a road trip up to York and it was great fun. Um, and I consider those guys that now good friends. Whereas, um, if you're playing, just if you just go to a tournament, and turn up, you'll meet some nice people, but you're not necessarily making the same bonds yeah. that you would do if in the league play. To my to my mind, sort of a, a shared experience over a protracted length of yeah. time. It's, yeah, exactly. It's unique. Yeah, it's. Um, I guess you could compare it to like if you have like a Necromunda campaign or something like that, there are other systems that, that sort of have a similar level of experience um, in terms of, you know, you um, uh, leading a, a, like a team or a gang or whatever um, through yeah. a, a, a series of um, games or, or uh, I don't know what you call it, Necromunda, but yeah. Uh, but, but obviously, yeah, the, the sharing that experience with other people and, and sort of being able to sort of, um, have shared stories and um, memories of, of what's happened. That's, that's very important, I think. Yeah, I guess it's sort of akin to if you were playing in a, like an actual team sport where you're having to uh, go out and do, you know, your weekly training session, your weekly games. And then um, if you make it all the way through the season to the, you know, your semis and, and grand finals, then obviously you're going to have a, a very different experience with your teammates than you would if you, just went to, you know, like a, a, a day of five-a-side, you know, indoor soccer or, you know, sorry, indoor football. I've got to get that terminology right now that I'm in the UK. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess it would be a, a fairly similar experience, except with this, you don't have to be in peak physical condition and you can, as Ewan pointed out, you can have some drinks while yeah, you're doing ideal. it. Yeah, I think it's a good point, though, Dan, you mentioned, like, being in the five-a-side football, like, the the, the, the camaraderie we have amongst the, the DBL community actually goes beyond just playing Blood Bowl. Like, so plenty of us have ended up um, playing other games together. So I did a D and D session or a Warhammer Fantasy role play session as well with, um, with some of the guys from the DBL. Um, we've tried to organise like uh, other other games at the club. Um, we also have a mm. five side football group that we that we uh, get together, which James and I are both in. Um, it's not just uh, people who play in the DBL, but quite a good number of it is. Uh, it's just yeah. the social side goes much wider than just blood bowl. Like the friends we've made, I've certainly made. I think I'm speaking for James as well. That these are not just people that we play blood bowl with. These are now genuine friends, and quite a few of the guys have invited uh, other DBLs to their weddings, or we've gone on holidays yeah. that aren't blood bowl together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it all sounds really good, uh, and I hope that listeners out there are keen to get involved in uh, Blood Bowl tournaments or if, uh, if there's nothing happening in your local area, maybe even starting up one. Um, but for those who are listening and are in the greater London area or are able to commute into London and want to get involved in uh, future seasons of the DBL, what's the best way of going about it and uh, uh, what advice would you give to them? So if they want to join the, the DBL, I think... Um... But as, as we said, we're sort of part of a larger club 
Um, and it's, 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 a, it's a really good place to be if, you know, you like a few other systems as well. So if you are in the London area, um, uh, give the London uh, Wargaming Guild a, a look. Um, that's uh, um, the, probably the easiest way for people to get in touch with us and, and get into our various, you know, chats that we have where we organize games and things like that. Um, mm. um, just that's, that's, the, that's often the way that we um, um, organize our game nights and you, you book onto that through that, uh, uh, that group. Um, you can get in touch. We, we do have an email address that you can get in touch with, but we don't, we, we don't check it as much as we, we should really, especially at the moment, but it's uh, dragon bowl league at gmail.com. Um, and we do have Facebook and things like that. Um, so there are a few ways of getting in touch with us. Uh, but we find, you know, I, I was sort of struggling to come up with those details. And we often find that it's just, you know, sort of word of mouth, that, that sort of thing that where we get new members. Um, you know, pe- we find that our players, our, our coaches are really good ambassadors for the league. And they, they help sort of spread the word quite nicely. Cool. And is there anything else uh, that needs to be plugged or, or mentioned before we uh, uh, blow the whistle and, and call full Blood Bowl's great this? because you can shout Blood Bowl really loudly when you're playing it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, well, guys, thank you very much for coming on the show and, and talking all things Blood Bowl. I uh, wish you and, and the rest of the governors in the Dragon Bowl League and the commissioners uh, all the best for the 2021 season and we'll definitely have to get you guys back on to have a chat about that season uh, when it's uh, all sure. done and dusted and go over some of the highlights Absolutely, looking forward to it well that was James and Ewan two of the governors from the London Dragon Bowl Blood Bowl League uh, guys thanks for coming on the show it was great having a chat with you about all things Blood Bowl I wish you the other governors and of course the coaches All the best for your 2021 season. I hope it goes well. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about the Dragon Bowl Blood Bowl League or join in, uh, I've put links in the episode description to the London Wargaming Guild's Facebook page and meetup group. Uh, And I've also put a link to the Dragon Bowl League's YouTube channel in there so you can watch some of their uh, uh, streams that they've done of games as well as other content they've created Uh, surrounding the leagues that they've run in the past. Uh, Definitely check that stuff out. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks uh, for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been uh, a fun ride putting together this episode. Uh, And, you know, I think it went pretty well for a first episode. Hopefully uh, we can keep this going. Uh, And hopefully you you tune in in future as well. Uh, If you would like to find out more about Quartermaster Studios and the work that I do, you can definitely check out my website. It's quartermasterstudios.com. And you can also follow Quartermaster Studios on Facebook and Instagram. I've put links to those in the episode description as well. Um, If you do want to get in touch about the show or get a commission quote, uh, you can shoot us an email. The email address is info at quartermasterstudios.com. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks once again for tuning in, and I'll catch you next time for more Brushing Up.